So yeah, I think I have a mouse in my apartment. Um, Why do you think and you're not sure? Well, I mean, I haven't seen it. And so when I moved here, I moved here like in September, like seven years ago. And on the very first like cold snap of the season, uh, Blanche like sniffed out a mouse. It was like in my bathroom and I freaked the fuck out, like screaming <laughs> blood murder because I actually saw it like whatever. I put out traps and like was able to get it. But the following winter, same exact thing happened. When the first cold snap came, the, a mouse came in the apartment. I don't know. And like, I feel like that was five years ago, the last time we had like a mouse incident. And I feel like every time I do anything, take, take out the trash, get in my little laundry area, clean out a closet. Like I'm so scared that a mouse is just going to like fly out. <laughs> like I get so scared. And anytime Blanche like sniffs out an area, something like it freaks me out so much. And so the other night I had like cleaned my bathroom and like cleaned out Blanche's litter box. Like before I went to bed, swept, mopped everything and then went to bed. And when I woke up the next morning, there was most definitely like a trail of her cat food, like her hard cat food, like in like going, my bathroom goes like in between my bedroom and like another little hallway. And it was like a trail from like my bedroom to this little hallway, which is where my laundry is. And I was like, that it's so far away from Blanche's food that right. like, it, there's no way she could have like just dropped it there. And I was like, no, like I'm so scared. So I set traps last night and like, you don't understand. Like there's, there's nothing even scary about setting a trap, but I was like shaking when Aww. I was eating the peanut butter, like on these traps. A, I feel bad about the traps. Like my yeah. friend and I had this really long conversation about like, what is the right kind of trap? Do you do the catch and release? And I just can't, I can't. No. So of course, last night I set the traps and all night I kept thinking that I heard the traps go off. I was like laying in bed, like oh, that was it. That was it. <laughs> and when I woke up this morning, I put them like in the little laundry area. And when I woke up this morning, I checked both of them and like nothing in there. Yeah. So I'm just like, now I'm just scared that a mouse is going to fly out like anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> I feel like everything <laughs> I've done, like the past like three days, I'm like so scared a mouse is just going to be like, bah! <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> no, I know. It's like, I just feel like unsettled. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we were giving you a reason to drink in the middle of the day. What are you drinking? <laughs> I know. I put a little bit of uh, a little like chocolate. It's not Bailey's, but it's kind of like a little chocolate liqueur in my coffee. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. What are you having? A mimosa? I am. I'm having a mimosa. Yeah. And it, it looks kind of nasty because I always do like fresh squeezed OJ. So oh, anytime, wow, that's yeah, fancy. I know, so fancy. Wesley um, called me trash whenever I had like my big old mimosa, and I was like, I'm not trash. I fresh squeezed my orange juice. Would trash do a fresh squeezed OJ? I don't think so. 
What? So that's like kind of the pulp. Wesley. (laughs) Wesley, my my dear husband. (laughs) That's such an odd thing to call um, trash. Oh, we we call each other trash all the time. (laughs) I don't know why. Well, here we are. I'm excited. Episode one. Episode one. Well, other than your mouse drama, how was your week, Holly? Uh, my week, let me think. Actually, this week was a little bit different than most of the past month has been for me because currently I'm, you know, looking for a job. I got laid off in the middle of July and I keep going back and forth between wanting to do freelance, like focus on freelance writing or looking for a full-time job. And I really like doubled, tripled down on looking for a full-time job, like in the month of August and for a majority of the month of September. But it's like last week I started to feel just kind of different, like about it because the mark, the job market for like the tech industry, which is where I'm applying mostly is really competitive right now, which makes me feel like my resume is going into a black hole. And also the few interviews that I've had are just so stressful. Like even if it's just a first round call. So I kind of feel like I'm going to pull back a little bit on applying. I had a good amount of freelance work in September. I don't have as much lined up for October, but these things usually turn around pretty quickly. So this last week, I really just had a like two days worth of freelance work. And then the other days I spent a lot of time working on my Etsy shop, uh, doing some writing for my novel that's coming out and really just like working on personal projects, which on the one hand probably sounds really nice and leisurely, but on the other hand, it's a little bit makes me feel a little bit uneasy just because like those efforts are not really like money making efforts. They might be, but it's like not a guarantee. So sometimes it feels like a waste of time. I just have to constantly like tell myself like it's fine to spend my time doing that. So that was um, pretty much my week. I'm going into a re- another weird week because I was summoned for jury duty. So I don't I know, know if I'm going to be <laughs> at the courthouse all week or if I'm going to get dismissed on day one and have a normal week at home. I've never actually like I've been summoned before, but never actually had to serve on a jury. So I've never even been summoned. You know, wood. Both times I've been summoned, I was unemployed, which. Interesting. I wonder if they did that on purpose. I know. I'm like, I'm like, they're like, let's give these unemployed people some kind of money, even though it's like $6 a day. I mean, I guess if you filed for unemployment, they would have you in that database, wouldn't they? Yeah. So like both times I've filed for unemployment, I've been summoned. Interesting. Yeah. So. What are you doing for health insurance right now? My, the, the job that I had that laid me off offered to reimburse me for Cobra. 
Oh, that's very nice. For four months. Like that's my eligibility mm. time. And they offered to reimburse me, which let me just tell you, I got the paperwork for it this week to finalize everything between maintaining the vision dental and the healthcare for me, one person, I don't have any dependents, whatever. It's $800 a month. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before be around 500, like, and other times that I've not had a job, I have always sought uh, health insurance through the marketplace. And that for me was usually around 250 a month. Um, or when I was working full time as a freelancer, I just had my health insurance through the marketplace. And I was able mm-hmm. to have the same care that I've always had. Uh, my jaw literally like hit the floor when I saw that it was going to be, eight. I, I mean, if my previous employer was not reimbursing me for that, there's absolutely no way I could afford that. Mm-hmm. Like that would, even th- even though they're reimbursing me, I don't want to send the check. <laughs> right, right. I understand. That's insane. Because I'm sending the check for like all the months for one, like at once. So, and then they'll reimburse me like once the insurance company deposits the check. And I'm like, that's so and much that's money. so crazy. And I'm sure it's not like 100% coverage. Like you still have to pay for prescriptions and whatnot, right? Like it's not right. like it's literally. Yeah. yeah, it's just the same coverage that you yeah. would get. And really like, the dental and the vision that is like $60 together, both of those. And I'm, I don't even have my normal, like dentist appointment, eye appointment, like that stuff just doesn't fall during this time. But I mean, you don't want to not have it. Right. And like, as far as my health insurance, like, oh, likely the only thing it's going to cover is like a one-time, um, like annual checkup that happens like every October for me. So like thousands of dollars. Um, have you you seen those things where it's like what is something that is a scam but it's been so normalized that we don't always realize it's a scam health insurance like yeah not only is it ridiculous but why are our eyeballs and our teeth separate (laughs) like that's that's part of our health that's part of our body why does it have to be separate yeah yep like I get it with like I was going to say, I get it with like vision insurance. Like maybe not everyone needs that, right? Like not everyone has to have glasses or contacts, but everyone has teeth. Yeah. But with vision insurance, I will say this is like something that hits really close to home for me because that is how they initially saw like the signs of my dad's brain cancer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He did like one of those in-depth, like it's, I guess it's a scan where they like, really look at your whole eyeball like when you get your eyes dilated but you don't have to do it every time and they like saw something like behind his eyeball and Mm. that was like the first sign so every time I go to the eye doctor I'm so paranoid that they're gonna be like yeah we see a little something back there so what about your week uh my week was good it was busy you know just like every other week um between work work and the studio work I got an ultrasound Wednesday not I'm not pregnant (laughs) do you remember whenever I had half my thyroid removed yeah so I have to do annual blood work and an annual ultrasound to make sure that 
my, the remaining part of the thyroid that's there is producing the right, you know, the right amount of hormones, which it is, thankfully. But the ultrasound is to see if I have any more growths on there. Mm. Because I had to have half of it removed because it was a huge node on there, which was basically, it was a tumor. And we weren't sure if it was cancerous or not. It ended up being benign. But we have to do checks every year to see if anything else is growing. And there are like little baby nodes on there, but they're like minuscule. So all good there. This Thursday was the night I taught my yoga class at one of the apartment complexes downtown. And there were five people that showed up to this one. That was a record so far. Oh, wow. So exciting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so interesting because a lot of the people that come to those on-site classes haven't actually done yoga before or at least don't do it regularly yeah I can imagine that's cool yeah Yeah, so I really like doing those um and then Saturday which was yesterday I was a little hungover this morning uh (laughs) because we had two big celebrations yesterday one was um Stella's birthday Stella turned three oh okay she did she's such a big girl Stella is my dog for anyone listening that is not aware (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then yeah we, we celebrated the one year anniversary of the launch of yoga for all humans yeah um, I I actually when I saw you post that I was really shocked because I thought it had been longer than a year <laughs> yeah I know right no we literally just hit a year it's kind of crazy and we went to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse because one of Ooh, my yum. yeah well <laughs> it wasn't actually that young one of my friends that I did my yoga teacher training with bought, bought us the gift card. So that's why we went to Ruth's Chris and I haven't been to Ruth's Chris in a long time. I and it was, it was kind of a letdown. Um, Wesley was like, this thing fucking sucks. <laughs> my I steak mean, is better. <laughs> it is like a chain. It is. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. service was great. The presentation was wonderful. The atmosphere was wonderful. But yeah, the um, for a fifty-four dollar steak, it was not anything special. I've had a lot better, um, but it was still a good experience and good night to get out. I, will. I, I honestly, the last time I went to Ruth's Chris was in Louisiana, like that Ruth's Chris that was like yeah state. I went there twice, and neither time was really that great of an experience. I remember the food being good, but mm-hmm. did you get a bottle of wine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got. Two glasses of champagne, um, Vauve Pico. Mm. That's one of my favorite champagnes. So we got glasses of that. But how then, much was the glass? Honestly, I don't even know. I didn't even look at the bill. I mean, the, the gift card took care of a chunk of it, but it was still a big bill. So I didn't even look. <laughs> <laughs> and then we did split a bottle of wine. Okay. Do they have a big wine selection? They did. Yeah, they had a huge yeah. wine selection. The bottle of wine I know was like 50 bucks. Okay. If I had to guess, the glasses of champagne were probably like $17. If I had yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, but no, I didn't look. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, welcome to Small Business Happy Hour. We really haven't even like introduced ourselves. Let's talk about how we came up with this idea. Why are we doing this? Yeah. So, I mean, we're both entrepreneurs. Do you consider yourself a small business owner? Not at this point. I feel yeah. like when I was working as a full-time freelancer, I I did 
just because I felt like more of I was running a business, which I guess I'm still doing some of those, like as far as tracking hours and invoicing people and that sort of thing, but not really more of just on someone with an entrepreneurial spirit is how I think mm-hmm. of myself. Yeah, that's totally fair. I was just curious. Recovering, still a recovering, recovering hustler. Recovering hustler. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think we both share the same frustrations with, you know, at least running your own show and like putting in a lot of work on something and not necessarily seeing, you know, the, the appreciation for it, especially from like close friends and family. Right. <laughs> so I think our idea generally is to just bring, lift people up, lift, lift up small businesses, entrepreneurs that are, you know, doing the work and doing good work because it doesn't always happen. You know, everyone likes to act like, you know, small businesses are the backbone of America or whatever, but you don't always get, you know, I would say you get the respect maybe, but the appreciation and the support is often lacking and the recognition. So yeah, I think our general idea is just to lift people up and get, you know, people's stories out more because even, you know, if if you're a community-based business even within your own community everything just gets lost these days like there's just so much noise and I guess we're adding to that noise but um (laughs) (laughs) that's all you can do right now so yeah I um think it's been a few years probably like three four years that I really started focusing on supporting small businesses like I admittedly was someone that um, used to purchase a lot from Amazon, used to just go to like the huge grocery store, um, just did whatever was convenient for me. And I had a couple things like happen, just paying attention to the news and seeing like environmental stuff happen. And just honestly looking at some of my own purchases and going, you know, for this same amount, I could actually support a small business. Whereas like that person probably needs it so much more than like whoever this corporation is that I'm purchasing from and now a lot of you know I try to get like everything from small businesses um I've changed my shopping um purchase habits so much because I want to make sure my money is like going to the right place and now it's like I look at all the small businesses that like I benefit from and I'm like wow if they were to close or go away like I would be really upset so I'm definitely excited to hear these stories and hopefully like share some cool businesses that people want to support and yeah just inspire because I I, like respect people so much that have like gone the non-traditional route as far as like making ends meet so I'm excited me too. And I'm excited to discover more small businesses that I can support, you know, because mm-hmm. admittedly, I don't do as good of a job as you, you know, kind of carving out as corporations as much of a anti-capitalist at heart that I am. I'm also a slave for convenience. You don't, you don't do a lot of Amazon stuff, but they have started like highlighting on Amazon if you're purchasing from a small business, because you, mm-hmm. you, you know, like small businesses can have their stuff on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, of course it's usually not going to be part of the prime, but they have started highlighting 
small businesses. So if I am shopping on Amazon for like, you know, my moisturizer, um, I do try to see, because a lot of times I'll be buying moisturizer from a salon and who the hell knows where, you know, that just carries my beta moisturizer. So I think that offsets some of it. But yes, I, I need to do a better job of more directly supporting small businesses. So I'm excited to see who we meet. Yeah. So yeah, our guests are going to be like small business owners, other, you know, entrepreneurs, really anywhere. Um, we have a lot um, of guests lined up that some of them are based in Austin, some are not, some are businesses we use, some are not. So I'm excited, but they're all fall falling under either, you know, they're all small business related or they do some kind of effort for good, whether it's like for the environment or inclusivity, fair wage, sustainable sourcing, all of that stuff. All of that stuff is stuff that I think about. Sometimes I wish I didn't because it's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, um, giving people a voice on how they're being responsible with their business is also important. So that is kind of what you can expect from the podcast. We're going to be dropping new episodes every Tuesday. So who, who is the guest for episode one? I don't think we've officially decided yet. I mean, we have guests that we're interviewing, but have we, we haven't decided who is going to be the first one. Um, I meant us. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's me and you. <laughs> we are the guests. <laughs> so something about me is I uh, am a little slow to the uptake sometime. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know that joke where um, someone, like someone will say like, did you see the gullibles written on the ceiling? I, I, I fell for that twice. Have you never heard that joke before? No. Oh, yeah. And it's because I'm gullible. So, yeah, I totally fell for, fell for it twice. Oh, well. I saw you looking at the ceiling, though. I'm like, I feel like I would fall for it as well. <laughs> I don't. I'm, I feel like I don't get ahead of anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Okay, so yeah, we are going to interview each other. Um, I think we both toyed with like using the first episode to have like people from our family on uh, because I think we both come from kind of like entrepreneurial families. Mm -hmm. um, but we figured the first episode would be the best time for people to get to know us and kind of what they're getting into if they decide to keep listening to the podcast. And I guess we didn't mention before we start interviewing each other the um, the happy hour piece of it. So, I mean, I think we both enjoy drinking, um, just in general. <laughs> um, but it's it's a way to cheers each other, right? I mean, we're kind of celebrating small business owners, so it's a moment to give each other a cheers. And if alcohol is not your forte, that's okay. You know, we'll we'll have some sober guests on as well. Yeah. I don't know if I'll ever be sober on the podcast, but yeah, yeah. I don't plan on it. <laughs> but I don't plan people... on it. <laughs> people are more than welcome to come as sober. Yes, no judgment from us. Yeah. 
Okay, so I guess we can interview each other. Do, do you want me to ask you questions first, or how do you want to do it? You can go first. I mean, on the on the thing, I'm first, so. Okay, so um, I kind of, I definitely want to give you a chance to talk about yoga for all humans, but I think now would be a good time for you to explain, like, your current career situation, because you have, like, a lot on your plate. <laughs> just a little um yeah so right now it's what October 2nd as we're speaking um so about two months ago now it, it's hard to believe it's been two months that I started back working full-time I started working full-time as a senior recruiter at an engineering firm based out of Louisiana and my previous corporate history was in recruiting. So I'm kind of just like picking back up, I guess where I left off, you could say that, um, before starting this full-time job, which is still remote. I don't I don't know if I'll ever have a non-remote position. I couldn't imagine going back into an office every day. Before going back full-time, I was working part-time for a recruiting agency. Um, so pretty much doing the same job I am now just for an agency for about three months and that was like 20 to 30 hours a week so I kind of like had a little bit of a ramp up speed before going back to work full-time but for like a good six months it was all yoga for all humans because I took I took the break um to get the studio started and then really only went back to work because I need the money the studio is not making the money yet yeah. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. So, because originally, I think originally, as I remember it, you were going to maybe open the studio prior to leaving your previous nine to five job. Mm -hmm. um, but it didn't necessarily work out that way. And then you weren't really planning on going back to a nine to five job. So can you talk about if you're, if you want to talk about that just a little more? Yeah. So whenever the idea for opening the studio came up, um, it was in the heat of COVID. You know, I wanted to launch an online studio that was affordable because, you know, COVID's not going away. And in general, people just need more convenience in their life whenever it comes to taking care of themselves. But yeah, the, the original plan was not necessarily to quit my job, you know, because I, I felt like I could start the studio since it was online and I, you know, had a lot of teachers lined up and keep working because, you know, I do enjoy the work I do in human resources and the strategy that comes along with recruiting, but they pissed me off enough um, to where I left. <laughs> there was a lot of burnout, a lot of toxicity um, that it became too draining to continue working there so I decided to leave it was a big risk I'm not a risk taker actually which you know is I guess kind of ironic with starting a small business usually those are going to be more risk taker people um, I've never been unemployed like never ever since I was 15 I've always had a job um, and it was it was very unsettling at first, um, but I literally had to put myself first and had a long talk with Wesley, my husband, about it and just decided to take the risk, um, basically exhausted my 401k 
and sold all my stock. And that was what, you know, the studio lived off of for a long time. And then we, um, you know, just had money saved up and it got to the point more recently where the studio is still not paying for itself. All the startup money is gone. My, the, the money I make working is actually what I use to pay my teachers now. So <laughs> I don't get to keep all the money I'm making. Wow. And so, yeah, that, you're right. Um, cause even, even a year later, we're not in the black yet. Right. Um, you talk about going from red to black to green at this point, I just want to be in the black, but I don't know how soon I'm going to be there. I mean, hopefully sooner rather than later, because I would like to enjoy my paychecks now that I'm working full time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Really? You want to enjoy your paycheck? Wow. I know. Isn't that weird? Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, once I left my full-time job, it was not the plan to go back to work full-time. But, you know, life happens, but I am really enjoying my new job. Um, There is a good bit of balance with this company. There is actual work-life balance. So even once the studio gets into the black, I mean, I, I see myself continuing to work for a long time just because, you know, I mean, the studio is not designed to make like massive amount of profits. It's going to be a long time until the studio is making enough money where I can actually comfortably live off of it. And then just the ethical side of that, you know, it'll take me a while to get like comfortable with actually like living off of the profits of the studio and not like reinvesting them in something, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I guess explain a little, you know, more about Yoga for All Humans. Like, what exactly is it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's an online yoga studio. And uh, unlike a lot of online yoga studios, and I'm doing heavy quotation marks, we actually have live classes and a recorded video library. Most online yoga studios that you see is just like an on-demand thing. I wanted to create an actual studio environment where you can, you know, choose which teacher you enjoy taking class from, do it live. Like I'm, I need the accountability of going to a live class. Like if my class is scheduled at this time, I'm going to be there. You know, my teacher is holding me accountable and I wanted to create that space for other people that don't have the self-discipline to do a video, you know, whenever they, whenever they should. I also wanted to create a space where, well, let me back up. So my work in, my work was in recruiting before, but I was also in diversity, equity, and inclusion, which often go hand in hand. So whenever I was doing my yoga teacher training, I realized that a lot of the diversity, equity, and inclusion issues that I was trying to solve in the corporate workspace existed in the yoga world as well which I mean maybe I was naive but it just really caught me off guard that like there was just blatant like racism and appropriation and so much ableism and financial barriers in the yoga space um so it really got under my skin and that's really what a big part of me wanting to start the studio was was I wanted to create a space that was actually affordable, you know, like so many studios, if you want an unlimited monthly membership to a studio, good luck finding one for less than $100. Like it's crazy. 
And then people that have, you know, an on-demand library, that's usually extra. Like ours is just part of the monthly membership. And then the ableism side of it, I mean, when's the last time you saw a yoga teacher in a wheelchair, right? I mean, not to toot our horn, we have a, we have a yoga teacher in a wheelchair, but I sought her out and whenever I was looking for, you know, the inclusive side of the studio, because people need to have a space where they feel welcome. People need representation. And there's, you know, there's so much more to yoga than the actual physical practice of yoga, mm -hmm. but the physical practice is important and not everyone can do, you know, a traditional downward facing dog. So people need options. Um, and of course I can lead a more accessible class, but I feel like an actual disabled person can do a better job of teaching other disabled people than me because um, they have the lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, in, in summary, it's accessibility was my goal for the studio, both from a financial perspective and from a physical ability perspective. Yeah, okay. Um, so really like what's your overall, like in, in a dream scenario, like where would this, where would yoga for all humans be like in the next five, 10 years or whatever timeline you're thinking? Yeah. So I think I have, there's a lot of opportunity for growth, obviously expanding, you know, our online membership is un I mean, there's, you know, endless amount of growth I can, I can do with the online stuff because we're literally international if we want to be right. Um, we don't really have many international clients right now, but we could, I mean, there's nothing stopping it other than time zones, mm -hmm. but I have recently, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, um, started teaching on site at apartment complexes. So I plan to expand that. That is great. I do love teaching the on-site, but the insurance issues that come along with that is the biggest racket. If we're talking about a fucking scam with insurance, like I can't tell you. It's literally been a month and a half of going back and forth with this third-party authorization, whatever. Like there's like this company that these apartments use to verify my insurance, which is understandable. Like, you know, it's better to have, you know, a vendor who has like solid workers' compensation insurance and general liability insurance. Like right. I get it. But this company I've been having to work with is insane because I can't send my stuff to them directly. They have to get it from my insurance carrier. And of course they can't ask the insurance carrier themselves because all insurance carriers don't allow third-party requests so i've been having to be the middleman and it's just insane so that's almost wrapped up so once that's wrapped up long story short i do plan on expanding this um on-site apartment complex branch because it is kind of a beautiful thing it's kind of like yoga at work which is a different part of the business model but like i was saying there's so many people that come to our classes who have never done yoga before or don't do it regularly and there's just the convenience factor of like it's literally at your apartment's gym like that's amazing right you can just walk there so that's been really rewarding and i want to expand that i'm going to start with expanding that through the austin area with this one chain of complexes that i've been working with 
there's I think like 10 other places in Austin alone and surrounding areas that I'll be able to reach out to and then it's national so I'll be able to expand this nationally and just find teachers in each city that I begin to operate in so that'll be a big opportunity for growth and then the yoga at work stuff which still hasn't picked up I have a couple people on the hook but we do kind of the same thing either on-site or virtual yoga for employees and then with both we give employers and apartment complexes the opportunity to purchase memberships for either their residents or their employees so those are big growth opportunities and then outside of that um just diving more into accessibility i would like to have more disabled teachers I would like to expand our languages. You know, like I don't have a Spanish speaking teacher right now. Oh yeah. Um, right. So that would be a future avenue for growth is really starting to include exactly all humans, right? And all humans is a lot. That's a big endeavor. Um, and then eventually, I know this is a long answer, but I have lots of goals. Franchising would be something that I would be interested in because I personally don't ever plan on having a physical studio space. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people ask me that if I would ever have a physical studio space. And the answer is no. Um, <laughs> Do you want a one or a two word answer? <laughs> but um, franchising would give the people that want to have physical studio space, but maybe not the business acumen to start it themselves it would give people that opportunity to become part of the yoga for all humans brand. So I could have it set up to where like, basically, you know, what is it called? A turnkey type of situation. You know, imagine being able to start your own yoga studio without having to worry about branding and, you know, coming up with teacher pay and all those things that go into it. Mm -hmm. So I would be excited to eventually franchise keeping our core values of paying teachers fairly you know, giving people sponsored memberships if they can't afford it. Like I would be very selective with our franchise model so that the accessibility of the studio and the, you know, all of our ethical guidelines are still in place, you know, because that's important to me. So there's a long-winded answer. Yeah. For all humans. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of goals. I will say that, you know, I gave you a Q&A a while ago for uh -huh. my blog, The Bitter Lemon. Um, it's a pretty extensive q and I'll definitely put the link to it in the show notes and on our Instagram when this episode drops so people can read your answers there. But one of the things that I asked you in that question, um, let me find the exact question, is what's something you've learned about running your own business? And I am calling this out because actually your answer really like surprised me, but I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to. And I think it's something that will probably come up other times in the podcast when we talk to future guests. And so I'm just curious, like if you want to explain your answer, but also like that, that interview was, I'm trying to get the date. That was in April of this year. So that was over, you know, it was six months ago. So I'm curious if you still feel that way and like, what are your thoughts on it now? What was my answer? Was it the lack of support? 
Yeah, that was your, it's really like the first, um, I'll read you the first thing you said. The question was, what's something you've learned about running your own business? And your first sentence is, unfortunately, I've learned that people are mostly all talk when it comes to supporting your dream. And I mean, you went into like, people had made kind of a lot of promises about signing up for your business. And like, you spent a lot more on advertising. Um, There were some other facets to your area for, to your answer, but um, I think I, I know like this is something that I have felt tremendously over the years, but hearing like seeing your answer, I was like, Oh my gosh, like that. I mean, it's sad. (laughs) (laughs) It is sad. And I still feel that way. Nothing has changed. It still blows my mind, you know, and I throw shade um, <laughs> relentlessly. I have no guilt about throwing shade um, and giving people a guilt trip about it. Like in my post last night where Wesley and I were clinking, I was like, P.S., like you've had a year to come to a class. And if you haven't yet, you should feel bad. Uh, <laughs> because like literally everyone's like, oh, you know, I'll come whenever I have time. It's been a year. You haven't had time. And like, I totally get that people have busy lives. Obviously, I do too. I don't have children. I will I will give people a bit more grace if they have children. But even if you have children, you should be able to make time for yourself. Maybe you need to talk to your partner about that. But it does blow my mind that people don't support the studio more. And even, it doesn't even have to be like a monthly membership. It could be you know, sharing a post, like I'm, I don't know if I'm like paranoid about this unnecessarily, but like I've noticed that sometimes people don't even like one of my yoga posts because I think they feel guilty, like if they like it, but then don't do anything about it, like I'll notice that or something. Mm-hmm. But then those same people like will say like, oh, I noticed your post, you know, about like a yoga at work oh. tip that was so helpful. And I'm like, well, you didn't like it. You didn't share it. Like there's a lot of like non-financial things that you can do to support someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Like if you found a yoga at work hip opener that takes two minutes helpful, share it. Maybe someone else needs to see that. Um, And obviously that would give more people exposure to the studio. So yeah, it does. It does still piss me off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That has not changed. Uh, And even like the free trial, like I have a two week free trial, like, Sign up for a free trial, come to some of my classes, and then don't don't sign up for membership. Okay, that's fine. Maybe do a drop-in every now and then. But the, I mean, the people that originally said, like, oh my God, I can't wait till you start teaching, you know, I'm gonna come to your classes. I can't tell you how many people told me that they were gonna take a class from me. People that were bothering me about not being open yet whenever I was still getting everything together to open it. So people were out here being like, Derek, when are you going to, I need to take yoga. When are you going to open your studio? And they still have not taken a class. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of them. It's so crazy. That's wild. And then that's the people that have been probably the most silent because I think they feel bad. (laughs) Um, but don't feel bad. Just, just do it. You know, like everyone. I say, do feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to feel bad. 
because you could just support is what I, what I was getting oh at. God. Oh my God. Yes. But they should feel bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. It really blows my mind. So yes, it still pisses me off that six months. I can't believe that was six months ago. I know. So the second mission of our podcast is to guilt people into supporting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. If, if you do not leave every podcast episode and go follow somebody on social media, we are going to hunt you down <laughs> and consider that a threat. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Uh, okay. I feel like I've talked enough about myself. Is it your turn? I guess I'm looking at some of these questions you have and I'm like, oh, you have some hard questions. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like your brand is very unique. You know, we were kind of talking earlier about like whether you consider yourself a small business or not. And like you have a brand, the Better Lemon is a brand Um, and it's a blog, right? Mm -hmm. But your books are holly phillips your books aren't bitter lemon right right okay so like yeah how would you sum up like who you are as an entrepreneur because you do have a lot of a lot of things that you're involved in yeah i think like you even calling it a brand feels weird because um honestly like i i struggle with branding so much and when I have taught classes on blogging, um, I teach a lot of things about branding that I've learned over the years, like branding and marketing. And I have students that will be like, well, you didn't do that for years. And it's like, yeah, because when I started, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no intention for anyone to read anything I was writing on the blog. So I, I never put forth like all the things that everyone does now. It's like Twitter wasn't even around when I started my blog. So I really just described what I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but repeat that Twitter wasn't around whenever you started your blog. Correct. I've had my blog. I've had my blog for 12 years. For 12 years, damn. Twitter came around in like 2005, I think. Yeah, or maybe it's like at least like people weren't like I feel like now if you're gonna start something, it's like. Well, I'll back up first. So I'll say like, in general, I just describe myself as a writer. I think in other times I've gone through all these things. I'm a blogger, I'm an editor, author, all these things. But what it all boils down to is just being a writer. And then I have, I started writing like when I was in high school, I wrote for my high school newspaper. I come from a family of writers who have, you know, written books and my dad was a journalist. Um, And even like learning, taking classes in high school and then going on to college and taking classes on how to be a journalist or how to be a better writer, it all comes down to like understanding story and things of that nature. So I've always just had this passion of like wanting people to be able to share their story, uh, whatever that is. And so when I got my first job after graduating from college, I quickly saw that like, this was not going to be some super creative effort. Like my day job, like my nine to five job was sort of like, oh yeah, you're going to be writing. Like I was writing, um, for a really huge brand 
and my stuff was getting published, which was like a dream coming out of college. But of course, everything was in those parameters of like that brand. And like, Mm -hmm. it was also just very limited as to what kind of things I could even pursue. I would venture to say that honestly, creativity was just like not celebrated at this job. And so I was like, I started my first blog um, right when I graduated from college, which was in 2007. And that was just something I used to like apply for jobs. Like, Hey, I built this from scratch. I literally bought an HTML for dummies book from Barnes and Noble and made this. (laughs) It looks like crap. Not HTML for dummies. (laughs) (laughs) It looked so awful. And the content was horrible. And then when I got my nine to five job, I was like, maybe I can use a blog for something other than like, obviously I wasn't looking for a job at that time. So I decided to, I wanted to write a book and I was like, I can start this blog as just like a place to keep all my notes, which sounds so strange now. So I was not planning on anyone seeing that. And that's why, like, since I did not have the intention of other people seeing it, I didn't have like oh, it needs to be a certain URL. Like I started out using like the free WordPress, like my blog was bitterlemon.wordpress.com for the longest time, for for so long. It it actually has been a paid for domain less time than it's been the free version. So I think like creating this brand around the Bitter Lemon, like I think that is... More so like stuff related to the blog and less like, obviously, I think my, my name, like that's what I use when I write my books or like if I get a byline or something like that. And when I started The Bitter Lemon, it was a lot of content about like dating and relationships where like that name, The Bitter Lemon kind of went with that. Whereas like right now, my blog has not been that, t- that content for, for many years. Um, it's more of like, lifestyle beauty reviews what like honestly just all kinds of different stuff and sometimes I feel like that lack of branding has has hurt me a lot and making the shift from the dating content to what it is now I lost a lot of readers when I did that so I look at bloggers that are successful and influencers that are successful now and I just feel like I kind of miss that train because I just started for, with a completely different goal. So I don't know if that answers your question at all, but that just sort of explains like the beginning parts of like how I created that. And I hang on to stuff. It's like, I, I maybe one day there will become a time when I'd be like, Oh, I'll change the name of my blog or whatever. But I just love that name so much. And I, I love like all the design things I can do with like lemon and whatever. So I just, I feel like it'll be a long time before I want to let go of it. Like I said, it's been around for, yeah, about 12 years. Well, that's a good segue into how you came up with the name for the bitter lemon, because I've always thought it was a catchy name because like lemons are bitter, right? (laughs) Yeah. So, so it, it, where did the name come from? Like, uh, I, I had a feeling you were gonna. I had a feeling you were gonna ask this, and it's like the story is just not good. Um, 
honestly, I cannot tell you like the exact way that I came up with it, but I know two things played into it. Um, one was that I was working as a bartender when I came up with this blog. Um, right when I graduated from college, I was working as a bartender and I had a full-time job. So I would go to work from nine to five and then I would go back to work at 9 p.m. and work as a bartender until two. And like, damn. Yeah. So I was always really like, liked like lemon drops and things like that. And mm -hmm. I felt like this, if a name had lemon in it, I could have all of these other little branding assets to it um like some of my book names are like limit I have a book called lemon drops which is like short stories and like a lot of the categories on my blog are like these you know I I like have to roll my eyes at it now because it's like something that search engines don't understand so it's like a search engine doesn't know what like the squeeze means or whatever sure. but and the other thing honestly is that like Honestly, I grew up in a family that there's just been a ton of like troubled relationships and divorce in my family. And I think when my family would get together for the holidays, there's always this like narrative of like, you know, bitter women, like just that comment of women being bitter or that happened or jokes about women being bitter. And somehow that like found its way into this title because like I said a lot of that content was about uh, my like failed relationships I had a column I had a column and a very short-lived radio show um, when I was at LSU about just sex and dating and kind of just making light of like my failed relationships and then when I got out of college I was kind of riding that wave and like wanted to write a book on it. Um, it was a time when like relationship columnists, I think were really popular because of Sex and the City. Mm -hmm. And I followed other relationship columnists who had, you know, turned their columns into books. I got my columns syndicated into a printed magazine when I still lived in Louisiana. So I was still able to write new content even once I graduated from college and wasn't working for the school paper. So for years, that was the content and it, and it kind of went with it a lot more than it does now, because I don't necessarily think I'm a bitter person, but I more so the writing was coming from that place uh, when it started. So it's funny though, because I never intended for it to be like quite so literal. Like I've met people now that when they, when I say something about having a blog or whatever, they're like, the bitter lemon like what's the is it really like are you bitter like you know approaching from that and I'm like no I think it's just a cute name at this point but <laughs> <laughs> maybe I am I don't know that's funny yeah so that's how I came up with it I think I remember like sitting down with a dictionary thesaurus like looking for other I, I mean I really brainstormed I do remember yeah. that um, but I wasn't thinking about, I, I did not think I would like still have it probably now. I certainly wasn't thinking, to, Oh, what, what, what am I going to do when, I, when this blog is 12 years old and I'm trying to find a job and my <laughs> URL is thebitterlimit.com. I wasn't thinking about that. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I I realized whenever I was coming up with the questions for this, that I'd never actually asked you that question. So yeah. that was new for me as well. <laughs> cool. So I want to skip my next question and come back to it because you wrote so much about dating and I know that that was dramatic at times. Do you have any haters of your blog? Like active haters and and I guess like by active haters it doesn't have to be like currently active but like people that would like spam your comments and you know come after you like I'm just curious yeah this is a hilarious question because I have had my fair share of haters um even just when I had the column and prior to starting the blog I actually had to call LSUPD because I had someone threaten to um, hurt me. Like whenever I would go out, I used to go to like punk rock concerts a lot when I was in Baton Rouge. And I wrote a few columns about how I had a big crush on this singer Mm. and he had a girlfriend and his girlfriend obviously did not appreciate me lusting over her boyfriend, which still to this day, I'm like, isn't that just like a compliment? But Mm -hmm whatever um (laughs) i'm gonna be like pissing people off episode one um (laughs) so this this girl said that she was going to like get get people together to hurt me and so i had to contact lsupd because i didn't know if she was like serious or what but i went to one concert and she was there and her and her friends started like throwing ice at me oh my god yeah and so all of us got like escorted out and whatever but then once Once I started the blog, I had, you know, I've had a few just, I'm trying to think of like the order in which things happen. But for a while, I had one person that would comment on almost everything I posted and basically just like call me names, call me like a fat cow, say like, I'm stupid, your ideas are so stupid, you're unoriginal. And like, from my end, I can usually see where that person is commenting from. And it was coming from New Orleans, which was near where I lived for 12 years. So I'm assuming it was someone who knew me personally. And eventually I just, everything comes through with like an email. Like I have my comments set up to where you have to put your email. Obviously you can make up an email address, but after a while I ended up just emailing that person and being like, Hey, I'm not sure who you are. And I'm honestly not sure like what has happened between us that has made you so upset. But like, I would love to know just because when I was a columnist, like I said, like I got a few letters to the editor, people, um, I wrote a column, like kind of being really critical of LSU's Greek system. And I got a few really hateful letters coming from there. And when I was in college, I was like, I mean, it just ripped me to shreds. Like I was like, I was so upset. And then my dad, who was a very seasoned journalist uh, and a controversy, he wrote a lot of controversial stuff he was like the first person that I called and I was like, Oh my God, my, my life is over. Like I was so upset. And he was like, your haters are your biggest fans. Like those are the people that are reading your stuff over and over. They are the one, like these people took time out of their lives to like read your stuff enough times to write a letter to the editor. They edited the letter. They, you know, and they're going to be the first ones to pick up your column on Tuesdays, see if you address them. And that is something that has like stuck, by me like my whole time as a writer if someone is like critical of what I have to say I made a giant 
I don't know if it would be a mistake because I still stand by what I said, but I said something less than favorable about Beyonce on my blog. Really pissed off, (laughs) pissed off the beehive and like got a lot of like hateful messages about that. And I think I remember that. Yeah, (laughs) I still stand by it. And then the other thing that happened that was honestly really pivotal in in my like blog was that I had a period of time, like when I got out of my last relationship, I was dating someone that was an alcoholic. And like when we broke up, it was just, I was feeling so much. And I had my blog and I was like, let me just put anything I can like out there about this to really like for my personal self. And thousands of people started reading this series. I was every day waking up, uploading, just, it wasn't anything that I really organized. It was just whatever's on my mind, recalling parts of the relationship and thousands of people were reading it and people figured out, like they knew me from, you know, living in Baton Rouge and they'd be like, wait a second. Like, I actually know who you're talking about and he has been dating someone else this whole time. So people were like coming to me with this information and I mean, they weren't haters, but like then the blog turned into this, like, not only was I writing about my life, but people were figuring out stuff for me and telling me about it. And so then I was confronting him about it and then reporting back on that it was a very meta experience, but it made me like discover so much more about the relationship. And like, it felt like such a community effort at that point that it was just wild, but he was commenting at him and like this other girl that he was dating, they were commenting and saying like, that I was like disgusting and you know, all this kind of just like petty bullshit. So that was like a really dramatic time. (laughs) That was a dramatic time in the blog. (laughs) But as of lately, like, no, I really don't. I, I haven't covered anything too controversial as of late. So, yeah. <laughs> so that person you emailed that kept commenting, did they ever respond? No, that person never wrote back, but they also stopped commenting. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if sometimes people just need to be reminded that like, uh, we're people and I was just like, obviously if you get pissed off about something I say like it's whatever but like my corner of the internet is not going to be a place where you're going to come and like call me fat or dumb or whatever and she I can just delete the comments but this person I don't know if it was a he or she kept trying to recomment and be like oh you're deleting my stuff but it's freedom of speech and all this nonsense and it's like um, no, that's not part of your freedom of speech. Like this is literally a corner of the internet that I pay for. And I'm not going to like promote that sort of like, if, if you disagree with something I'm writing, that's one thing I'm happy to have a conversation about it, but not just like calling me a cow. Right. <laughs> like, no. Damn. I know. So the future of the bitter lemon the future of Holly as a writer. Yeah. I think, I mean, honestly, it's so funny because the blog started off as something just so kind of a place for me to put notes and not really a full idea, but this blog, it's so funny, but I've written, like I said, I've had it for 12 years. It has over 2000 entries on it. It has guest blogs. It has 
some sponsored posts. Um, but like this has over the years just become like such a, like I joke sometimes, but I tell people like, it's a family member to me. Like this blog has, I have gotten fired from full-time jobs for stuff that I've put in the blog. I have lost friendships. I've gotten in arguments with family members over stuff that I've put in the blog. And um, my family members have called me trash, told me that I'm a slut based on stuff that's put in the blog. And I continue to keep it and keep writing what I'm going to write because like, it's pretty much my journal. Like, obviously I don't put everything in there, but there's so much personal stuff in there that I've put over the years. And even though sometimes it has been sort of the reason that people don't like me or whatever, I'm like, well, to me, it's like a timeline of like such a piece of my life. And it's something that like I can always turn to. And it's like, to me, it's a huge accomplishment. Like not only does it have so much writing on it, but it's, it's had thousands of readers, like thousands on thousands of readers over the years. I have thousands of subscribers and, you know, the audience changes. And so I can't see a day when I would like shut it down, but I, I do think right now it's in this place of like, I post, you know, usually three to five times a week on it right now. It it always fluctuates depending on like my schedule. Um, But it also has a Friday newsletter, like a free Friday newsletter that I send out that has like related content and it houses like links to where people can buy my books. I have six books. Um, At the time this drops, it'll be my seventh book out. And so I think like, it's safe to say, like, I'll still continue to write books. I'm also, you know, in the process of just like writing scripts, like that is kind of my ultimate writing goal is to like sell scripts to Hallmark or other, you know, streaming services, and then kind of just see where that goes. But I feel like the, the bitter lemon is always just going to be like a place where I can house like all of my thoughts and ideas for everything because no matter if I'm like writing for freelance or writing for a full-time job like obviously whoever I'm writing for it has to be like within their brand you know guidelines and I'm always going to need a place where I can just go and like write what I want to write and I feel like I've been in the habit of doing that for so long that like I can't I can't see that really going away but um I've tried other like areas. I tried having a YouTube channel for some time, but that really didn't like take off and it was a huge time suck. I've tried doing like a Patreon arm of it, but that was really just not a successful venture. So I try in other areas um, to just see how else I can expand. But right now, just having the blog post, the newsletter, and then use I mean it's kind of just like my website at this point you know but I don't know about what else the future brings hopefully Hallmark movies (laughs) (laughs) well I'm excited about your your new book coming out I I forgot that that was happening and this book will be a brand new book like not not a continuation of oil and ink right Yes, this one is a brand new one. I've actually been working on it for over a year, whereas the other two novels that I wrote, I wrote during 
National Novel Writing Month, which is in November. So when you're hearing this, I will be working on another book for National Novel Writing Month, which even just now like stresses me out thinking about it. But um, <laughs> yeah, so this book that when this drops, it will have just come out is really has all new characters, totally different plot. And it's kind of about, um, or not kind of, it is about a social media influencer that is really like, she has this like picture perfect life on Instagram, but of course it's like problematic behind the scenes. And she just like seeks um, different attention. And so she changes like a lot of her appearance and she changes like the people that she surrounds herself with. And she gets into this like relationship with somebody really fast and people that are watching this online like know that there's something not right about it but she keeps coming on and saying like it's great it's perfect love it and it's it's not so I think this book even though it was like it was difficult for me to write because the other books that I've written were so much more fun for me like I loved the characters and I loved like just I felt like I really love stories about like small towns when people like learn to like live their dreams like in you know you don't it doesn't matter if you live in a small town big city I really love that which is why I'm kind of doing this Hallmark thing because I feel like that's such a um, storyline in Hallmark movies like but this one is just a little bit darker than those books it's not scary or anything like that but it's just um, my character is not happy you know she's she is very troubled like from her core like she doesn't you know she's lost herself as an influencer and I think we've all like had that kind of like time in our life where especially if you're on social media like what we present on social media versus like what our life is like I think to some extent that's a struggle for for everyone but I I enjoyed writing it from the aspect of like I have been a social media manager in my career I am on social media now even though I like kind of hate it um (laughs) and the guy that she gets in a relationship with is like a startup CEO, which I've worked at startups. And so it was kind of fun to like talk about that startup culture from this perspective. Um, It just is, it was just heavier than the other books that I've written. So that's why I think it kind of took me a long time because I wasn't like racing to my computer to write, (laughs) to write about this woman who is like um, struggling, but I'm excited for people to read it and, and see what they think. I'm excited to read it too. So that's coming up, dropping at the beginning of November. And then November is National Novel Writing Month. Yes. So do you know what you're writing during the month of November yet? Yes. I have a very loose, loose idea. A lot of people call October Preptober, like if they're doing National Novel Writing Month, because you can use that month to to prep. You're technically not allowed to write like any single word. But you can like think about your characters, the plot, that type of thing. Um, So I know a little bit about, it's like an idea that I've had in my head for a little bit. So I know what I'm going to write about, but I actually, I have no idea like what's, how the book will end. I don't even know like my character's names or anything at this point. I just have like pretty much like one scene in my head that then I'll grow that into like a whole book, which is how I did the other books and it's worked out so I'm I guess that's like my method now is just like going in (laughs) and 
We'll see. So in the in the past, I've written the whole book in the month of November. You write 50,000 words in 30 days. And then I the past two books I've published like in like February or March. So hopefully I'll do that if I think this one is like <laughs> good enough for other people to see. <laughs> so it's not going to be a third establishment of oil and ink is what it felt like no it's not i still haven't dropped that um i have had people ask me if i'm gonna do a third installment of oil and ink and i go back and forth with it because i do i love those characters so much like i could but i was kind of worried after writing the second book that like, am I just thinking that because I like these characters, you know, like I'm doing, I do everything by myself. Like I wrote the book, I edited the book, I made, I made the cover myself. I published it myself. If I, I have other writer friends that are like, Hey, you should have, you should get editors for this, or you should have it beta read or whatever, which I totally understand that point of view. But any of these books that I'm writing really have nothing to do with like the book. For me, it's more about just the creative process, um, learning how, how I create things, getting the story out. It's really not about like creating a perfect book, if that makes any sense. So if that was my ultimate goal to be like a best-selling novelist, yes, I do think I should hire editors and beta readers and have someone tell me like, Hey, this works, this doesn't. But I'm just like not interested in doing that. So um, I haven't, but I think I definitely could write a third book. I think I just have to actually think about it and like, what would these characters do for book three? Or would it be like a prequel? I've thought about that too. Would it be a prequel to Oil and Dane? Mm. So I haven't, I haven't given up on it, but I kind of was like, let me take a break and explore other characters and see if I still am thinking about oil and ink then i'll go back to it well i am team <laughs> third book third book whether it's a prequel or not um a prequel is a good idea because charlie does have a backstory mm-hmm. um, that we don't know a lot about yeah exactly so it could happen interesting cool cool well <laughs> i feel like we talked for a long time i have more questions but I mean, we've been recording for over an hour and a half at this point. I know. Well, Holly, where can people find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and Twitter at, again, not with the branding, Orange Julia 7, like the number seven. That's where I'm at. I'm pretty active on both Instagram and Twitter, even though. I'm active, you know, six days a week, not seven, but, um, and then obviously the bitterlemon.com is where all my books and blogs and everything is there. And where, where do you want people to find you at? Yeah. So I'm not on Twitter. I mean, technically you can find me on Twitter, but there's nothing there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've just never been able to get into it. So I'm on Instagram. Um, at yoga with Derek and that's D-E-R-E-K or you can follow yoga for all humans on um, Instagram as well 
I wouldn't say add me on Facebook, but you can follow Yoga for All Humans on Facebook. Oh, yeah. I think they do <laughs> but it's just, like, automatically populates. Like, I I admittedly, like, hate Facebook. I um, do as well, yes. Like, I just, I get on Facebook for, like, one group that's, like, nowhere else. But other than that, like, I never get on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and then the podcast has its own Instagram, small business happy hours spelled exactly how you think it is we're even though we do have a pretty like robust guest list like we want to know you know who who else we should talk to who are we not who are we missing um you can send us a dm or we have an email address which is smallbusinesshappyhour at gmail.com beautiful cool